The subject for the evening talk is love and separation. For those who are at um, either of the two uh, small groups meetings that this afternoon will no doubt recognize the thread and, the raw, and where the raw material for the evening talk is coming from. So for some of you it would seem rather repetitious, <laughs> but anyway. But those of you who are separate from next door and uh, in the silence of things will we'll explore. There is um, quite often, and rather understandably, um, a great deal of confusion arising between love and separation as though the experience and the feeling of love implies the dissolution and the destruction of separation. And quite often our associations and feelings and thoughts with uh, separation can seem to be at the uh, expense of love or in some cases the experience of separation producing uh, a distance and a longing for touch and contact and for that love to be bridged with what we are separate from. And so understandably in the way that we look at life and our world the issues of love and separation do matter a great deal to us. It can be with the experience of uh, separation that a gap sets up between ourselves and somebody else and in that gap there is a loss of love we feel a major distinction between ourselves and the other person or person and we build up in our mind through our story through our images and our pictures all the reasons that we can imagine to support the distance to support the gap and we'll use memory we'll fuel it with a negative uh, feeling we'll use thought and rationalization we'll use every inner resource that we have to perpetuate the distance the separation and we build into that gap such an opposite of them and myself him or her and myself that the mind's power to build in that way creates a reality which we believe in and sometimes we believe in it to such a degree that we can't bear to hear anything any other view which might be different and we've perhaps had the experience of really disliking, hating somebody 
for what they did or what they didn't do. We have spoken to a friend about him, her or them and the friend has come up with a nice thought, a warm thought and we just didn't want to hear it. It's interfering with our reality and we'll come back with a line like well if you really knew this person you would never say such a thing. We want to keep the reality and to keep a reality we have to exclude we have to deny we have to push out other people's viewpoints to preserve a reality. It can work in pleasant ways as well. There are people that we know sometimes or people that have been elevated in the international arena who, from whom we are very separate. We've never met the person, we have no, no idea what he or she or they do with their day-to-day life but we've had some information and we're touched, we're warm, we're, we're, we feel uh, wonder or um, gratitude, marvel, etc. All forms of love at work, not necessarily tempered with any wisdom, but nevertheless, love at work, and we, there's a certain elevation of the person that takes place. And somebody else might be true or just hearsay, has another little bit of information about this person who we have placed on a pedestal. We can't bear to hear it. Why should the person say such a thing? It can't be true. And so with the movement of our feeling in emotional life, we can have a great deal of pleasantness with love and support for but there's a separation there as well. And we can have an unpleasant feeling about and have another separation there and it becomes our reality and we preserve it, we carry it around and we don't want it to be threatened too much by anybody. And wonder, how is it the mind can get so closed down and it's the, the movement back and forward, as it were, between love and separation. There can be love with separation. There can be separation without love. And as the Buddha said, the mind, heart and the mind, is such a vast field, it seems to be able to accommodate anything that it has this extraordinary capacity to carry the most extraordinary contradictions. That one can be this way one moment and something else the next and we say, how is it possible? How could a person be like that and be like this as well? Well, it's very easy because the mind is very vast very big field. It can accommodate no end of paradox. 
And sometimes I say, gosh, I'm so surprised at what I heard. I just couldn't believe it. Well, we had better start believing it, because anything to do with the mind is possible. All the contradictions. All the extraordinarinesses of it. I used to go to the to do prison visiting. Stephen Batchelor, one of the guiding teachers teachers here, is the prison chaplain to um, um, Denbury Prison, which some of you who've been out walking may have passed by. The, po- the, the prison was built about two years before we arrived here and came Gaia House, and the local village didn't know what hit them. You know, when 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 you've gone the nine centuries of nothing ever happening in a village, and then in the space of two or three years, a prison descends on the place, and then uh, and then Gaia House and these strange people wandering around the the, the, the village with blankets wrapped round them, and one could go and visit the inmates. And and some of the inmates who were there doing long sentences for all sorts of things, men in this case, or due to uh, others, you know, just abuse of the basic respect for life, the people's lives, for them, thieving and stealing, etc., etc., and in the cell, there would be wonderful pictures of the person's family, of their kids, of relatives, of close friends, pinned up on the cell wall. And instead of talking to the person, say, about that armed arm robbery with the sawn-off shotgun, which they got caught for and now serving 12, 15 years, life sentence, whatever, they're talking about their family and their friends and human love and connectedness and all of that. Same mind, able to generate authentic, genuine love and kindness and generosity. And it's the same mind which can go out one morning with a sawn-off shotgun and walk into a bank and hold it up with all the terror that goes with it. So here's this life, the inner life going on, love and separation, separation and, and love, and our living and having to, to deal with all of this. As one person point, pointed out, there are situations which can arise quite unexpectedly when we are suddenly faced with an immediate, it might be short-lived, but an immediate form of intensive separation. And with it, we look at a person, or a group of people, or whatever, and under a specific label, it arises, and then we enter into all manner of hostile, reactive, negative judgments. All the kind of... uh, the lack of wisdom and clarity and kindness of the heart, the phobias arise 
and they can take all manner of forms as we know. And suddenly there's this crudity of generalized view about a situation or a place or a group of people or one individual for that matter. And inside of ourselves there's an arrogance, a self-righteousness, a conceit, a pride, a notion of superiority and one is identified intensely with one view and in that world of dependent arising it's produced a dramatic separation me and them us and them I and him I and her or whatever and, and, we're, and it's a fixation we get caught in it <coughs> those experiences happen easily enough but what's necessary in all of that is what happens after the intensity of the feeling has gone in other words you and I might be in a situation where uh, a reaction occurs inside of us some judgmental view of the mind negative mind comes out for a moment or two a strong feeling about it and we blame that country we blame that group we blame those members whatever it might be but afterwards the strong emotion has gone and we'll be left with an impression and that impression we ought to be more concerned with than the initial intensity of the reaction we do say things which are unfair, unkind untrue and terribly generalised what's the impression that we carry afterwards on that impression some of the most distasteful if not obscene ideologies of this earth are carried out long after the immediate reaction has gone and the phobia through of an impression is carried and used as a weapon all over this earth as we only well know and it starts in the mind it ends in the mind it's the mind's responsibility and it says nothing about what's out there it only says something about the state of that mind and so the emotion is gone the hardness of heart can come in therefore a cutting off from the emotion and one's left with an impression which itself gets reinforced and it becomes an ideology awareness is the dissolution of that pattern it's to notice that and notice the mind in its initial impression the strength of the feeling and identification that goes with it the grasping onto the separation the noticing of the dissolving of the feeling and emotion that goes and the seeing of what the impression is afterwards what's supporting the impression? for some such experiences the impression is there it touches one deep, deeply it touches the deep soft 
place in the heart. The outcome of the impression is to act, to serve, to, to respond to, to relieve suffering, to end the, to end the separation. What's the impression that we are left with? Perpetuate separation and all that goes with it or to end it? And spiritual life sometimes falls on that issue. Right? It's essentially focused on that issue. Sometimes there's separation which requires in life a tremendous amount of patience. In the tradition, Buddhist tradition, that there's this uh, term called paramis, sometimes um, translated as perfection. And basically what is said is that in life there are certain qualities of heart and mind which are worth our giving attention to worth exploring and seeing do some of these need to be looked at and cultivated and developed I can't think what they are long long forgotten most of them but I do remember the first one (laughs) there's about ten as I say and the first one is certainly patience that I I remember and others in terms of uh, effort and determination generosity kindness deep things of the human heart and with the first one of patience, there are experiences in life where there is love and the love is simultaneous with separation. Person, place, whatever it might, whatever it, it, it might, might be. And some of you here have spoken, groups, one-to-one or whatever, of something which you love retreat, practice, spiritual life, community, sangha, networks, etc. But that love, there is also a separation. Separation born from the practical realities of everyday life, working life, financial life, relationship life or whatever. And we have to find and touch deep places inside of ourselves that in our separation, with love revealing the separation, can we be patient? Can we stay and be patient in spite of that gap? Just a few days ago, Christmas Eve I think it was, I received a call from a friend of mine who's working in the UN and has been working for the Burmese Peace Foundation for some years now. And as you know, it's, uh, in Burma has one of the worst human rights records any, anywhere. And though sometimes we have this idea of a Buddhist country, one needs to have the same kind of perspective as one might say of a Christian country or a Jewish country or an Islam. Just the images that go along with that. And just having a label is no substitute for obviously for wisdom and compassion <clears throat> and and at one point in Burma it, the violation of human rights was so bad that monks 
refused to receive food and dana uh, offerings from the military or from, from the government. It was a protest by many monks in Burma. It's an extraordinary act to do because the tradition says to receive whatever you are offered. And they refused to receive the monks' uh, offerings from the, from, from the military. So, uh, to make some kind of protest, a number of monks had been uh, arrested, tortured, murdered by the military, etc. I received the other day a telephone call from uh, this friend, David, David Arnott, in, uh, in New York. And as a number of you know, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, who has, is the leader of Free Burma, we might say, and when the general elections were held for the first time for 30 years, about five or six years ago, her Democratic Party received about 87% of the, of the vote, and therefore she should duly have become Prime Minister of, of Burma. And the military immediately dissolved the general election, cancelled everything out, and went back to their old controlling behaviour and promptly housebound Aung San Suu Kyi. And she spent, she received the Nobel uh, uh, Prize for Peace about five or six uh, years ago. And until uh, the midsummer, she had spent all the time housebound and was selling her furniture in order to eat. And relatives would sell the furniture, bring back her food, and her day was spent at home, unable to go out of the doors, and being a student of Vipassana tradition, same tradition as ours, uh, it was study of the text and doing practice and leading a meditative life. They have now allowed her out of doors, but that's about all. So because I'm a member of the uh, International Board of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, David uh, asked me if I would go to Rangoon immediately after uh, India for a meeting with Aung San Suu Kyi. It's much more difficult for journalists, uh, etc. to go, but I can do it because I can wear my Buddhist hat. And she is uh, expecting me, and it would be an opportunity, well, hopefully it won't get confiscated, but to take the tape recorder in and have some dialogue with her to bring a little bit of news of the life and the circumstances of Aung San Suu Kyi and her people. And the point I'm making in all, all of this is with regard, in fact, to what it would be like for a person, a married woman, with two children, to be housebound and her husband, who's uh, an Englishman, a Buddhologist, teaching in one of the universities, and the two children only to be allowed a very brief, brief visit twice a year to see her and then have to, to go. And all the time receiving pressure, why don't you leave Burma from the military authorities? Why don't you go? Go, go to the West. Go, go back to England. Go to Harvard where your husband is. Always wanting her out of the country. So once she's out, they don't have to let her back in. So she tolerates, and still does, 
the experience of consistent separation out of love love for her people love for justice and staying steady in such a situation as others have done in other parts and places uh, of, of, of the world and is an, an example of love meeting with separation and for that it must require a tremendous degree of fortitude a tremendous degree of equanimity and diligence and perseverance to stay steady and she knows just one small request to go and see her family once and they'll give her the exit visa and passport straight out of the country because that's what they want most and those examples illustrations in our life sometimes can be a reminder and an inspiration I feel for us as well to, to look at what is love in life what are the many faces of love and the way that that can show itself in life and what is separation and knowing that there is separation and a gap which goes with it sometimes that gap is a statement of love and sometimes that gap is a statement of clinging to images and all the painful disturbance that goes with it and to know the difference is really requires that you and I really keep in access and really keep in touch with ourselves to know the movement of our heart from love to separation separation into love and sometimes the separation with hostility at the expense of love in the image world as I say which sometimes does become our uh, uh, reality there are times when you and I are giving some care and thought to the future as one person was uh, describing being or uh, going to meet with somebody and in the meeting uh, with somebody there's some preparation sometimes quite necessary beforehand before seeing, seeing somebody preparation obviously can be valid and useful but what also can equally can take place is all sorts of tendencies going on it's not just pure preparation for us sometimes there's a kind of another agenda that's going on with it a common one is revenge you have hurt me the next time I see you I'm going to lay such a number on you so, and it's a revenge I, fe- I felt hurt I can't deal with this feeling of being hurt I can't deal with this feeling of the way you ignored me treated me, misused me exploited me, took advantage of me forgot me me, 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 me it's the most popular mantra on the earth and the thought then arises right, I want you to feel as badly as I do I want you to have a dose of what I felt as though this world doesn't have enough of it already so sometimes the, 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 the motive of revenge is in there somewhere but anger and revenge can be extraordinarily close together and we've got all sorts of rationalizations going on as a, as a person one person in our, in, our, in our thinking about it but the actual motive is getting one's own back <laughs> 
And we can't... And it's hard to acknowledge that that is really what we're driving for. We want to hurt. We want the other person to hurt. And we could easily slump and slide into a kind of um, um, uh, peace and harmony, or I must learn to accept things, and a passive, uh, disengaged view. Well, I'm not going to say anything because whatever I come out with is going to sound so appalling, I shan't say anything. And then one pulls and withdraws a great deal. So in looking at ourselves in the relationship of love and separation, what are the tendencies? What are the tendencies? Knowing ourselves is knowing. Is my tendency wanting to get my own back? Is my tendency to withdraw, pull back, be afraid to speak, be afraid to say anything, be afraid to look more open in the situation? Is my the tendency uh, which I have is somehow dependent on me feeling better about myself at the end of it? I don't want to hurt the other person, I don't want to withdraw, but I do want to feel I won. I want to just have that feeling that I am that bit taller than the other person or, or, or whatever that I was right after all and they, now they know it they don't want to hurt no no of course not no, no, no. just want to feel better than they are so in the looking at the movement of tendency the tendency that's going on can be the gap is the statement of the separation and therefore working with ourselves and knowing ourselves is knowing what kind of separation we generate. Is it withdrawal? Is it superiority feeling? Is it wishing to hurt? It's all the world of separation. On that world, every human act of destructiveness that has ever taken place has taken place on this earth through the movement of those tendencies. Every one of them that has ever taken place has in it the movement of the wish to hurt, the wish to feel superior, or, or the w- w- with withdrawal, and in that with withdrawal creating another kind of gap into isolationism. And suffering of, of humanity is tied up with all of those tendencies. And if those tendencies were not there, the suffering between humanity would not be there in that form that we know. Whether it's between a man and a woman, a man and a man, a woman and a woman living in a close relationship, or whether it's between nations. It's all about the human mind and its tendencies. So, looking at separation, looking at its movement, looking at what love is, and that love isn't a kind of wishy-washy feeling, nice feeling all the time. It's something about clarity and honesty and and being true and and uh, looking at looking at life and and exploring it and, and having a, a deep love for you to to find out ways to live with wisdom. And that's the kind of love that counts. Well, practices here, 
even in the time of the days that you and I have been here, perhaps in connection, in relationship to another or others, certain tendencies have been showing themselves. Let's be exceptionally clear and honest with ourselves. Not easy to do. And so that the so there's an understanding in our heart and feelings going on about the nature of love and the nature of separation. Of course at times it's just it seems impossible to bridge the gap between one human being and another. The differences, the values, the attitude, the outlook. Huge, and we can feel the whatever the disappointment of the inability to end the gap. Heart is willing, mind is willing, the forces are there, and that from the other or others, it does, nothing seems to touch. Nothing at all, and that gap is there. That separation is there. And we know in situations like that sometimes we have to live with that truth. It's the truth. That we can't find a way to end the gap. And that we have to dig deeper than the gap to to, to understand that. We've got to see what is common what is so deep between human beings, which is deeper than the tremendous distances between us. You've got to have a sense of something very deep in life, which is profoundly interconnected, profoundly shared, which can't be taken away by the size of various egos, by the potency of tendencies, by the obscenities that take place between human beings, that somewhere we've dug even deeper than than that. (coughs) And these teachings keep pointing, reminding and pointing us again and again to something profoundly deep which is shared in life, common in life. And on that foundation, on that web that we all abide with, can come actions in life and those actions which take place in life such as sometimes as I say there's a gap we can't bridge it that's the truth of it in that moment that's the fact okay let's live with it and it has its own love as well may your beings live with love May all beings see into the nature of separation. May all beings abide with wisdom. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.